Hello, I'm George Jannon, and welcome to Shore Stories, a show that explores business opportunities in Latin America. Are you opening an office, hiring a team, or building a company in Latin America? Then this show is for you. Learn from those who have done it before and get a roadmap before you jump in. This is our first episode, and I want to start with a mind-blowing statistic. If Latinos in the United States were their own country, that country's economy would be the fifth largest in the world. Bigger than that of the UK, France, or even India. And there are 10 times as many Latinos in Latin America as there are in the US. There are about 65 million in the US and about 650 million in Latin America. So you can obviously imagine the opportunity. That's the base of our conversation today with Eugenio Perea, a partner at Magma Labs, which is a VC firm that invests in startups in Latin America. We talk about the amazing opportunities in Latin America, historical challenges that they face, and how Latino mentality often differs from European. Hint, they complain less and do more. Anyway, on to the show. Cool. So I am here with longtime entrepreneur, venture partner at Magma, which is a VC firm that specializes in Latin America, right? Like basically yeah. your own, you guys are only focusing on America and also like pretty early stage stuff, right? It used to be pretty early stage, but now with the latest fund, with the, with the third fund, we moved up downstream and with the fourth yeah. fund, we'll move downstream even more. So we began, we had no problem ever being the first check into a company. So pre-seed and now yeah. we're up to series A, maybe a small series B. Got it. Okay. So you guys are progressing up as startups in Latin America also become bigger and more like the whole ecosystem grow is growing as well. So you yeah, with that. Yeah. And having bigger checks to to deploy <laughs> also helps, I guess. Ah yes. Yeah, yeah, no. I under, I I understand. First, um was like four million, it was two million with two more million invested alongside. There was twelve and the third was I think close to 50. So it has been growing quite a bit. Oh, yeah, that's substantial. Okay, I see. But it's not where we, Nathan Lustig, the magic partner, is very conscious about how we do things. And he doesn't want to raise like tons of money because it mm. go to deploy and, and the mission and, and the thesis gets diluted. And the thesis is very clear it's, it's fintech and intertech within LATAM, for LATAM, and the industries that support it, and also software service from LATAM to the U.S. Got it. Those are the, like, that's the main... The two those main pillars like, of, of where we put money in. Got it. So software from LATAM for the U.S., and then FinTech and InsurTech, but with a LATAM client base. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Ah, it's interesting. Okay. So yes, your visibility on what's happening in Latin America, especially in like Latin American tech and venture and, fin and like fintech, especially I assume is pretty good. And we can learn more about what you're doing now. I hope so, because I, I feel ever since the pandemic, I feel out of touch of everything. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Is it the remote, like remote working that everybody's doing where you feel like there's not the same visibility? It's fewer events. I stopped giving talks a lot. 
And I don't know, I can't like, there was a very small ecosystem in Mexico at that time and then suddenly it exploded. And now I don't know anyone. <laughs> it's, it feels I think, I'm sure a lot of people came appeared. I think the thing is, it must be a much bigger ecosystem than five years ago or something. We were like very vocal about come to Latin America. It was 2012 and we like really weren't, were yeah. it, it finally happened. And now it's huge. And you can yeah, like all these people, I don't know them anymore. Yeah. It's like a party where like now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the party is half really popular and you have all these people who are like, I don't even remember you. Don't know. I went to, a, I went to an event put on by Kate Kewell. The first one I, I went to. You and okay. I met the second one, the first one. And I was there and I didn't know anyone. It was amazing. I, was like, I had no idea who these hundreds of people are, investors and entrepreneurs and all kinds of stuff. And, yeah, I guess that's a good thing, though. That means that's new people. That's yeah, new people it's to awesome to work with, to chat with. To, yeah, no, I, but I do imagine that it's weird since you've been in the game for so long in this region. Right? It's just yeah, I, I feel like I was pushed to the side, which is a good thing because it, it feels weird, but it's a good thing that it is so big now that I am no longer even remotely relevant or a celebrity <laughs> with ecosystem. I am. No one pa passing the baton on to the next, uh, the next you have generation. Amazing people now. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I guess we met each other on, I guess we're like Twitter's peep friends. And then I met you in person once at that event. And I think that's, yeah, that's internet, modern internet friends, basically. That's basically how I meet everyone these days. Everyone at this point. When, when we used to have Twitter nowadays that we don't have Twitter anymore, I don't know what's going to happen. That's true. I know LinkedIn is, I don't know, I'm feeling people say LinkedIn might be the, the, the replacement, but I does not necessarily have the same vibe. Let's just say <laughs> it's not quite the same kind of ambiance. So anyway, I wanted to chat. So last time we talked, you, you mentioned a fact that I guess is known to everybody, but people don't think about bad bunny has a U.S. passport, which yes. I think. It's interesting because that's not what people think about when they think about Bad Bunny at all. And that being a, like a, a parable for a larger phenomenon and also an opportunity for people who are involved in Latin, business in Latin America or trying to build stuff in Latin America. And so maybe I thought we could talk a little bit about that. What do you mean by that? And then we can talk more about other stuff. It means that, yes, he does have a U.S. passport. And that means that, to me, it means that we all know that he is a massive talent. He is, and he's a brilliant entrepreneur as well because he tests things and he really nailed the way he talks to his audience in Latin America. He doesn't really emphasize his American passport or his American identity at all. He's yeah. like very, I am from Puerto Rico and I am Latino. And, and it's, it, he doesn't mention that at all. But his talent would not have been as successful if he had been born in a country like Mexico or Colombia or Venezuela or Argentina or Uruguay or Paraguay, or whatever. The fact that he had the access to the infrastructure and by infrastructure, the shortcuts and the tools that a U.S. passport gives you allows him to use that talent 
and use that leverage and become better and bigger and reach a wider audience and test new things and become the huge success that he is now. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically it's talent is widely distributed, but opportunity is not. Yes, that is that. Yeah, I think people say that a lot. By opportunity, you also mean the fact that the U.S. has a solid business legal system and a uh, pretty easy way to, if you want to take a risk or start a business, like a fairly, actually probably the best environment to do it in. I don't know if there are better countries, certainly better than Europe. And certainly better than most Latin America. There, there are no better. There is no better country to take risks. There is no better country to get financing. The 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 exits are are built into the system. The belief is built into the system. David McClure had a, a slide and a talk called "Critical Ecosystem Factors," and you have all of them. You have the 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 legal framework and the universities and the research and the government and the grants and the investments and the mindset. If you fail. It doesn't brand you for life. In Latin America, if you fail, it is very easily to get branded as a failure forever. We even in have Latin a America. We, you estás salado. You're salted. Like salted, <laughs> salted for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, is that a really, that's, an, that's the expression? No, you estás salado. Estar salado means you're salado. like, you're off. You're, you're like. Salado de mala suerte. Bad luck, salted. Got salado. it. You're out of the game. Yeah, like you're, 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 you're untouchable. Ryan. I did not know that expression, estar salado. Interesting. But yeah, it's definitely the same. It's the, it's the European, it's the sort of Spanish European influence that you get a little bit there that, that. Europeans have a thing I've thought long about this because Europeans, that's why Europeans have a very good middle-class life. Really nice. Yes. They have struggled for centuries to achieve a level of success that people who have never seen it would find mind-boggling. So yeah. they distrust, especially the French and the Germans <laughs> and the Spanish, they distrust anything that might go against the status quo because it threatens their lives. Yeah. So if an entrepreneur makes it in Europe, they're usually really good because they're swimming against the currents of the entire continent because they don't like things to get disrupted over there. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And speaking as a half French person who grew up in France, when you say you want to start something new or even just like just any random new thing, I think the, the best example I've seen is that, that fat loss drug, Ozempic. Yeah. So Ozempic in France, which is not widely available yet. My guess is that it's not going to be that popular. Like people are going to be like, what the hell is this thing? Um, what are the side effects? What is it going to do? What does it mean? Is it better than what we were doing before? Blah, blah, blah. In the US, I think like most of the population, basically the, the, the status, the consensus is let's do this thing. Oh, yeah. If you can afford Even it. Even if they don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, there might be some pretty bad side effects over time. Brand new. So there's, but the Americans are like on board. And any, so that's any new thing. Any new thing is, is exciting in, in the US and in Mexico, but new things in Europe are like, wait. Yeah. Let, let, let's just look at it. Let's just hold on a second. And it, it's the way they're, but it's just such an amazing place to live that it's just, it's hard to say any one 
vision is superior to the other. I think all of them have their own pros and cons. I mean, you've lived in Mexico and some Europeans come to Mexico and they go, I miss this and this from Madrid or Berlin or wherever. And they never yeah. get over that mindset. So, do you know what? Just go back to Madrid. Just yeah, stop, yeah, yeah. Whining, stop whining. Just go back to Berlin. And some Europeans yeah. get off the plane and they go, whoa, this is weird. But interesting. And in six months, they become locals and they've taken the bus to every single beach they can find in a six-hour radius. And they yeah. already know about Mezcal and they become experts in history and culture. And, and they, they say, this is amazing. And I'm never leaving this place ever. It's yeah, I guess it can it, it can flip. It depends a little bit on the yeah on how the the European like that the specific person. What I think is super interesting is when you say Europeans aren't really that into change because they have a nice life. Latin Americans might not have quite as nice of a life, to put it mildly. Some do. Some have great lives. But let's say on average, it's not quite as rosy as your average French person or Spanish person, et cetera. But I think that's interesting because that bakes it a little bit. Latin Americans are in this interesting kind of world where they might be a little bit closer to the United, like the United States philosophy, so to speak. Yes, in certain ways, but not in others. Going back to the bad money thing, we do not have the infrastructure, the tools that Americans have. Everything has to be built from scratch. There is no rule of law. There is no sense of a future in, in, in Mexico and Latin because we've gone from crisis to crisis for 500 years. Every time we have, we manage to get the real treasure together, some force, foreign force comes along, rapes our daughters, kills our sons, takes our land, and just enslaves us. It was the Aztecs, then the Spaniards, then the revolution, then the party, that it's then the narco problems and colonialism. And so we don't have a Swede knows exactly what mortgage rate they're going to pay in 25 years. In Mexico, we don't know what's going to happen Monday. We might have a coup yeah. attack. The volcano might blow up. We, we have no idea what's going to happen. And it's always been so. So we don't really invest in the future that much because we don't actually know if we have one. It's kind of but we are open to new ideas. And there used to be this idea that Mexicans were very conservative and would not take on new concepts and new startup ideas. And I think that's proven that I was completely wrong. If you can show any Mexican that your value proposition is really good, they'll jump on things. And mobile phone adoption and credit card adoption and mobility stuff, and people jump on things if they make sense. We don't just jump on fads. We jump on yeah. fats that help us survive. Gotcha. So the idea is that it's a survival. There's a more of a survivalist mindset. And so you have to be quick thinking, figure things out, and not necessarily... Yes, there is a kind of European naivete that exists that I, I definitely see that when I go back to Europe. Like this sort of, everything is nice. We don't need anything too different. Like things are working out pretty well for us. We know we're fairly trusting of the system. And so Mexico or Latin America in general is, it's true. It's not that. And we have this Europeans, when things go wrong, yeah, the reaction is to complain about it going wrong instead of just getting on with things and fixing it. Latin Americans, things go wrong every day. So we go, okay, so we just you know, 
put your head down and just keep going and fix the thing and get to work or fix whatever it is you wanted to do. Because yeah. we have no trust in systems for things to be normal. It, it's, yeah. it's a constant state of flux where you have no idea what's going to happen next. Yes. For, yes. for example, I, my, my power was caught by the power company on the 24th of December of last year. Yeah. Plus the payment was this thing we call the Metro Domiciliado. It was automatically taken from my credit card. Yeah. And the company decided to forget about that arrangement in, I think, October or November. So. It got to where I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and I didn't know because it was just like automatically paid from my card. And so we just cut off the power and I was left without power on Christmas for 72 hours. At Christmas? 24th December. Oh my. And it was like, so I went through all the hoops and and stuff. And a friend of mine was saying, how can you be so calm about it? It, it, it helps me in no way to rant and rave about this. It yeah. helps me to get it fixed as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a stoicism almost, like a oh, Latin, yeah. Latin American stoicism in the face of continuous chaos and, and obstacles and things like that. And even the good things, even the, the, an American entrepreneur can go and say, oh, I have, I can get a grant and I can get money and I can get a account at Mercury Bank and a, and a Stripe account and all these things. And there's databases of information and marketing yeah. tools and stuff. Here, we don't have anything. Everything has to be built from scratch. So it's so much easier to build companies on top of all these frameworks in the US that don't exist in, in Mexico. The good things that we have built are awesomely good and much better than, than the US because the US got complacent about being so successful in the 20th century. So you still have paper checks. My God, paper checks. You use the mail, postal mail, which in Latin America, like, why would you do that? Yeah. So instead of things like payments, spay, the online payments and, uh, or instant payments between cards in Mexico, between accounts, it's amazing. And it's 23 years old. So certain things. So spay, good- spay, which is the like sort of peer, I don't know the peer to peer, but like person to person payment system. Exactly. It's been around for since basically 2001, 2000. The year 2000. So when people, when people come to and say, oh, we're going to do Venmo for Mexico. And I go, oh, really? You mean Spain? We mean Spain. I tell them about Spain. Say, That's impossible. Not only is it possible, it's 22 years old. And it works in three seconds between every single account in the country. And it goes through the central bank. And, just- and it's free, right? It's a free... It's free now. And then... It used to only work for 20 hours a day, I think, or 18 hours, and it costs five pesos. Now it's 24-7, and it's free. And was this a government creation? It was, it was created by the central bank. Oh, by the Mexican central bank. Okay. When we used to have a very evil president called Carlos Salinas de Gortari back in the day from the old PRI party, okay. created two or three things that we rely on today. One is an independent central bank an independent electoral authority. And there was something else that he built, uh, infrastructure government. I forget right now, because it was a huge thing. It was there. INE? Yeah. Something else. I cannot believe I forgot what it is. And those things helped a ton because now we can go out into the world and be not, don't be the 
typical third world losers. Yeah. 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 There are a lot of things like that too, where Americans assume that something might not work at all, that they've invented something incredible like Venmo, whereas Venmo has been around in other forms in lots of other countries. I know in Europe too, they have, I think almost every country has some kind of free, just person to person sending money, sending service. Oh, and, um, and Europeans had chip and pin in their cards decades before the U.S. did. Yeah, absolutely. The French invented the credit card chip. And so they're very proud of being like, we're going to oh, yeah, in. And, and, and they say they invented the internet because they had Minitel before, before data pack. They did have Minitel. I used to have a Minitel. It was actually, it was, uh, the Minitel was, it was pretty wild in retrospect. When we, you take it for granted, but when you, like when you were, when I had it, but like now knowing what happened with the internet, you're like, wow, the French government really stepped in and was like, we want to connect people and you need to be able to perform. You could do lots of different services. Like you could get information, you could buy things. There was even like a, there was even like adult stuff that you could get on. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I can go on the media, do yeah, chats and stuff. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, they did do like these, it ended up being kind of completely subsumed by the internet, but it was in the like mid, early to mid nineties, like a pretty, and before as well, but yeah, every house had one. I was like this whole thing. Um, so anyway, what I think, really, yeah, go ahead. When you look at the pace of innovation of the last 30 years, the things that we have seen come into being just amazing everywhere. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I absolutely. Do believe that we are living through the greatest cultural revolution our species has ever witnessed. Well, right now. Right now. And it pains me to see people trying to hold on to the past because they're afraid of the future. In mm. terms of religion and, and people are very conservative and all, all of these things and, oh my God, no, no, no. We have never been better. Even COVID, because I just did research for this. Even COVID, the economist just put out a, a study they did on excess deaths. The official yeah. number is 7 million dead people in the world, which is a huge number. These guys say that if you look at excess deaths for any reason above the rate that we had up until then, the number goes up to 27 million deaths, which is a, a horrifying number. That is a lot of people. And we just went through that, all of us together. It was. Yeah. Um, but then you look at history and the 1918 influenza, the Spanish flu. Yeah. The estimates are between 25 and 50 million dead. And there are some people that say it's 100 million dead. So we are, even the highest possible number from the economist is at the lower end of the Spanish flu with no Zoom and no central heating and tons of non things that we have these days. Yeah. And if you look at as a percentage of dead from the population of the world, COVID doesn't even make the top 10. Oh, we've had. Really? Yeah. Other things like other diseases have taken cardiovascular cancer. Or there's affected more people in terms of population of the, of the world than COVID did. It's just insane. It's just, but the things, the, the good things, terrorism, poverty, you know, infant mortality, extreme poverty, people moving into the middle class as a consumer, every single metric, we are better than we have ever been. 
There's this place called Our World in Data by Max Rosser, a German guy. He has this website of information and he has all the sources. Yeah. Every single reference, oh my God, we have never had it better ever as a species. Yeah, I do think that, yeah, like the number of people who do not have enough food to eat right now has dropped compared to the, I don't know, 40 years ago. It's just nothing. There are people, but it's plummeted. And in Latin America too, Latin America, and there are many of them who live in poverty, but like in general, I know Mexico best. A lot of people have managed to integrate some kind of middle class and have managed to live a life that like, I don't know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago, like That's their grandparents would have no, would be mind blown to know. And it's infuriating because it could be so easily accelerated because there is enough money, enough food, enough everything to go around for everyone. But still thinking that we are facing like the worst moment in history because we are careening towards the abyss as a species is wrong. We are doing incredibly well. We should be doing much better than we are, but we're doing really well. Yeah, I do agree. No, we, we are like uh, times when you step back and look at the data, times are actually very... Speaking of doing well, what I thought was super interesting, you sent me that document like two days ago that I took a look at the Latinos in the United States as an economic force, because I honestly had no idea. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Talking about people who do well, it's wild. So what was it? It was, what, were the, what was it? It was Latino. If, if you take Latinos in the U.S., it's 63 million people, more or less. Is it the fifth? largest GDP, if they were a separate country, it exactly. was like Latino and U.S. Stan or whatever. If it was its own little country, what do you want to call it? You have Latino Stan is the fifth largest economy in the world. They yeah. have largest growth rate of any country from 2010 to 2020, except for China or India. Yeah. And there are only 63 million people. Something like that, like between 60 four. and 65. One out of four is, is, is a minor. They produce $2.7 trillion. The entire Latin America produces 5.7 with 600 people. No, it's just mind-blowing. It's, it's just, and they have the tools. They have the infrastructure. They have. Yeah, because basically, if you, it's, it's like the, the people, if you take that kind of mindset that you were talking about of figuring shit out on the fly, which is a mindset that happens to dovetail very well with the U.S. system. Yes. And you... Put them in a place where there's the yeah. tools, banking system, legal framework that, despite many flaws, is generally quite good, um, et cetera. They get to a point where they're really like, it's the one, maybe say it's the one, the main economic motor of the United States at this point, especially considering the demographics, like they're, I assume, skew way younger than the average American. So as things go on, there's just going to be, it's going to be a bigger and bigger sort of percentage of the GDP total now. You were saying this, I was thinking that it's just an automatic consequence. You bring hard work into that environment and yeah. you automatically have success. Yeah, basically. Just not the case in Latin America. You could be, you could work really hard and not be as successful as you would be in the U.S. doing the same amount of work and the same kind of work. Yeah, I think that that's why it's basically there are 10 times more people in Latin America than there are Latinos in the United States, more or less. 
and they produce about the same in terms of 2.7 versus 5.7, which is like- Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, which it's 10,000 more people, two times more output. Exactly, so, so each, of them, each of them produces like five, six times more than we do. Yeah, which is wild because yes. you think, what about all these other people? Imagine yeah. what we could do in Latin America if we had access to that level of infrastructure. The thing is, we will never have it unless we build it ourselves through the internet. Yeah. So if you like- Governments will never do it. Yes. I don't like, has there ever been a government that has been promising to you or I know the stereotype is always like Latin America is like the always upcoming. It's like the up and coming, it's been the up and coming region for the past 40 years. Exactly. And something like that. And it's like being a fan of football in Mexico. You believe you get your hopes up. And then the World Cup comes along and then you beat Germany in the first round. And then you believe <laughs> we might. And then again, then your hopes get, get smashed into pieces and it, it's horrible. It's the same thing. Every government, you go, maybe this time. And, and I've come to realize that it's never going to happen unless people do it themselves. And it's, and it, and it, wait, it, it has become better. Companies okay. are investing in people. People are being more educated. People are working together. It, it really, you see the change, but it's so slow compared to, it's the bad thing about living on the internet. You live in the first world in your mind, and then you yeah. stand, when you walk out into the street and you live in the third world, and it's, the, the contrast is so frustrating sometimes because you, you look at the potential, you see the potential, and then you go, ah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it that way, but you do have like your world on screen is very different than the world you step out of, out into after. But you get the good, the good stuff, the food and people helping you and optimism and things that you don't have in other places in the world because they have evolved differently. Yeah. So, so it's just, if you can find a way to have all the good bits of Europe and the US and Mexico and Colombia and Argentina in the same place, that's why people said, I, 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 I found my niche and I, won't, I don't want to move because like San Miguel de Allende. San Miguel de Allende in Mexico is, I think, a combination that works very well because it has European aesthetics with a yes. Mexican flavor and gringo yes. upkeep. So if you <laughs> for the upkeep, it has okay. gorgeous architecture all, all over town with the flavor and all the wildness of Mexico. So it's a perfect combination where it takes I see, okay. all the elements of the three big blocks. Got it. Yeah. So the Spanish built it, the Americans finance it, and the Mexicans give it its sort of charm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I've never been to San Miguel de Allende, but I know it's, it's like the retiree or not all retiree, but like artsy and you want to yeah. retire and paint or something like that. And from the but, US, but it's, it's like a gorgeous place. And yeah, yeah you, you got great restaurants, great hotels, great food, great everything. And tons of Americans live there. They're yeah. yeah, it's the RT type. You have the, your beach types over in Puerto Vallarta and your RT yeah. types in, in San Miguel. And San Miguel really is just a thing of wonder. People in Mexico don't like it very much, some people, because all the Americans, what? They're paying for this. That is true. That is true. Public libraries, where was the last time you saw a public library in, in Mexico <laughs> paid for by citizens? So it's, I think it's a very cool 
exercise, an example of what we could achieve together if we took the best parts of each region. Yeah, of, of all the different worlds. And so, yeah, I think the, the, what you were saying is you can, the, the idea now is that because of the internet, the, the structures that Americans take for granted that don't really exist in Latin America can now be built to a certain degree. There are ways to help or there's ways to create, yeah, infrastructure that can work in Latin America without having to rely on the government to come in and, and build it. You, I'm curious if examples or something like that, that comes to mind. All the crypto space, it took yeah. waters very quickly and people began offering credit cards and debit cards based on crypto systems and there was no one to stop them because they weren't constrained by the borders or the laws of Mexico. Just, this, this lives on the internet, so you can't stop us. Yeah. And if you want to build a company in Delaware or Estonia with a new digital identity in Estonia or in Singapore, and you can offer services. And the only thing they can, the incumbents try to do is just through legislation, try to slow things down, but that's not stopping startups. Yeah. Slowing them down, trying to create obstacles. but. A startup is an obstacle avoiding machine. So it's just moving around and trying to find ways to make things work. And you have all sorts of things and insurance and micropayments and everything just moving across borders and across national uh, identities. No one is really being successful at stopping it. Mm. Is it because maybe the, it is true that like in the U.S. there's just one, it's one country with one very powerful government and IRS that can really shut things down if, you, if they're not happy with you. Latin America being way more countries, does, is, that, is that the idea? It allows people to, it doesn't create, there's not one government that can just say no. You know what I, is that? Yes and no, because you have to comply with the laws in every country. So yeah, yeah that's true. Too, yeah. Becomes, compliance becomes a, a nightmare. If you're operating in Ecuador and Argentina and Colombia and Mexico, it, it becomes a nightmare. But, but the value proposition to your customers is pretty universal. So if you do it right, people will want your product. You look at, I don't know, Kushki, look at Stripe in Latin America, you look at uh, and it's funny because now that the U.S. has discovered buy now, pay later schemes, we go, yeah, that's how we've been operating for the past 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> is Quest is Questy a buy now, pay later thing? They're doing it now, yeah. Ah, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, no, I quit. Yeah, Questy, Questy is a, that's one of the larger fintechs. Questy right? used to be microloans in the Grameen bank model, and now they're ah, doing buy loans. now, pay later. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so, yeah, I guess the, like, where do you see this going? I don't know. Cause it seems like it's an exciting time. There's a lot of companies being built. Yeah. Infrastructure being created presumably more and more of these like 610 million people will be, they will have abilities that they did not have 15 years ago. What are the new, what's new? What's, what do you see coming down in the next five years? I think we're going to see a, a deepening of local solutions because for a long time we had copycat startups that just took existing. Oh, a U.S. concept models. and being like, all right, let's try it here. Yeah. 
And and I think those are of limited value. And now we have people that have deep knowledge of the region. A lot of them non-Mexicans, by the way, because foreigners tend to see market potential much faster than we do. And mm. see people with deep knowledge of the region and how things work, doing great stuff in terms of fintech and insurance, but from outside. Because, for example, insurance. Mexico, Chile is one-sixth of the size of the economy that Mexico is. It's a much yeah. smaller country. Yeah. They do five points of GDP is the insurance industry. Really? Okay. Huge. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's only 2%. Okay. 3 percentage points lagging be behind Chile because they have been much more open to new models and stuff. We are leading billions on yeah. from infighting and, and trying to just hold on to a little piece of your own market instead of just opening up and making it much bigger. So I think we'll, we'll see people finding ways to circumvent legislation legally and just saying, this is my offering to you, and you can have this, I don't know, using Stripe Atlas to build a company in the U.S. and then using insurance in the U.S. To, I don't know. There's tons of ways to go around stuff, and I think you will see a lot of good things. And so a lot of foreigners are coming into Mexico building stuff. Like yeah. That's a, that's, that's from, a big from phenomenon. From Spain, from the U.S., from France, from Brazil, Colombia, and they're usually very good at noticing things that we do not and taking advantage of those opportunities. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, you have this sort of, yeah, I guess it's, that exists everywhere where there's the foreign eye allows you to see, wow, this is really weird. I don't know why they do this. Like, and, and then you have this mindset. What I always tell people in Mexico, say, you have to think globally, at least yeah. regionally at the, at the level of, this is Mexico. Se compran tamarugorqueños and somebody slicing through steel bars. I say, th th think of the, of the planet. Think like a Swede. In Sweden, Sweden has a number of unicorns much greater than their population, what you would imagine. Yes. That's, the proportion is huge because there's so few Swedes, like they don't ever think of the local market. They think globally from the get-go. Yep. And Mexicans think, oh, yeah, Mexico City, all the country. You don't think, let's just take Latin America by force at the same time. When Corner Shop, they started out, they opened up Chile and Mexico at the same time. Mm -hmm. You can't just drive down to Santiago to fix stuff. No. So that forced them to use technology to face every problem. And they became uh, incredibly efficient at solving problems through technology, not throwing bodies or talent or just going down to fix the stuff, just using technology. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Think, that makes you sense. You think like a Swede, like someone who's going to take on the world, not just your Colonia Condesa. You have to. Yeah, yeah, not like that. Think like a Swede. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's true. They are what? There's five million Swedes and they okay. have uh, Spotify. It's, it's Polanco. They're, they're the size of Polanco. Yeah. They just build these huge companies because they're thinking of the planet from the get go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I think at this point, yeah, let's. I'd love to just finish it up. Maybe learn a little bit about what you're doing. So, talk to me a little oh. about Magma. What is well, Ojo en la Bola? Ojo en la Bola is my new company. I am a venture partner at Magma. That means I'm not part of an investment committee anymore. I'm a bit on the side. Okay. 
I've learned over the years that I am a horrible employee. So I went back to building my own startup. Yeah. It means eye on the ball. And, uh -huh. and you have to keep your eye on the ball. And I noticed there's tons of people in the in Spanish speaking Latin America and Spain and the US that don't really know much about technology, but they do want to know because they're feeling that digital life, modern life is leaving them behind. Are these people who are a little bit later, are we talking about people who are older generally? That was my first Any... thought. I thought it was, yeah. and the, the tests I did pointed to that older than 45, but yeah. now actually launched the thing. I've noticed that there's, it's more a question of how chronically online are you or are you not? Because there are people in their twenties and thirties and forties and fifties and it that some people just didn't get on the bus on time and they have no yeah. idea what is going on. And as in this auto, it says software is eating the world. So they're being left behind because software is part of mobility and nutrition and urbanism and medical expense. Everything is now online and mm. people are getting left behind badly. So I created this company to get them back online. And it's a two-part thing. One is I send them a letter every Saturday morning. It's a five-page letter. It takes seven minutes to read about one topic they need to know about. You need to know about this thing. And then I take them to a private discussion forum where we can all talk about this and learn together and expose our ignorance of the subject in a safe space. Because if you expose your ignorance of, of any subject on the internet these days, be it Reddit or Twitter, whatever, you get destroyed. So this is a, I hate the term safe space, but it is a safe space where you can learn about these things. And these people are usually much more affluent than you would imagine. You get middle-class upwards people learning about it. So they bring to the table, you have doctors and lawyers and dentists and designers mm. and people that, that, that know tons of stuff. So they bring tons of perspectives to this. So I'm building a community and it's working really well. I was surprised it took me so long to launch it because I began in 2021. When I okay. looked, and what, it, I didn't know it was, it been so long. I could say that it took me a while to build it up. And I was just, I was just being an idiot and not doing the work. But the, the brand was registered in 2021, the domain, everything was done in 2021. So it took me yeah. to actually get off my ass and actually get into doing the thing. And it's doing really well. That's awesome. So it's people, who, it's all this stuff about tech that you're too embarrassed to ask. Not even tech, just normal life. Oh, really? It's been 10 weeks. In fact, I'm going to read you the topics I've written about. Okay. Yeah. In letters. One was about password management. One was about communities on the internet. Okay. About the algorithm, the famous algorithm. One was uh -huh. about things. How do you deal with memes? How humor yeah. works on the internet? Digital rights on the internet? How to manage your own pictures on your phone and the internet? Doxing. Yeah. Active doxing. World gardens, deep fakes. And the last one was very successful was about optimism. The things we're talking about, how things yeah, 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 how things are not so bad. That's, I see. So it's almost more like, it's almost a lot of the phenomenon that have been created because of technology, but not the technology itself. I don't know. Like how doxing is a thing now. How doxing is a thing and how it came about and how historically it's always existed. Because I read up on these things and I learned about doxing. It began the 17th century. I did, had no idea. It was yeah, I suppose it could. Yeah, I suppose like it could exist. 
But now because of anonymity and and whatnot, it's has a different, yeah, it's different than I guess what it used to be. Exactly. Like Everything pre- is different. Everything is faster. Everything is more acute. And it's been awesome. It's been, I'd forgotten how exhilarating it is to build something from scratch, from your mind into the world and actually going out and saying to people, here's something, pay me money. And I charge money for this. I tell them, I will charge you a glass of wine a month, $9 a month. Say, I will charge you a glass of wine for me to do all of this research and writing and make you part of this community. Because I think the community is what's going to help people remain within Eloquent Labola. It's not my writing. It's the community. And I think it's charging people a glass of wine a month. So will you buy me a glass of wine? Yes. They say, yes, of course I will. It, it, the conversion yeah. rate, it's insane. The conversion rate is it's insane. Oh, wow. Okay. I should check it out. I suppose it's all in Spanish. And so it would have to be for, if you are a Spanish speaker, it'd be interesting. It's in Spanish because I've, my thesis was that there's tons of content in English, but seeing yeah, there the is. response of people, I'm, I'm beginning to rethink this because I only thought it was going to be like upper middle class and rich people. I only thought that was going to be over 45s and, and older. And now seeing the response of everyone, I think my assumptions were not correct. Yeah, it could be wider. Those issues are ones that everybody is thinking about. There's not really a place, because it's not something, I don't think like parents teach it to their kids yet. Like how to manage doxing. Don't, don't talk to strangers. To don't leave your information regada all over the internet. Yeah. For instance, I don't think parents teach, for instance, my parents never taught me anything about, oh, when you consume news, Here's how you should think about it. When I was a kid, it was just read the news. It's whatever, it's what's happening. Exactly. And nowadays you have to think, why am I reading this? And why yeah. this now? Who wants me? Yeah, who wants me to read this now? Yeah, exactly. Like, why am I reading this? What's the, is there an angle? Is there, is, is the information corroborated? What's the truthfulness of this information? Whereas when I was, yeah, I just thought all the news I could consume was just, that was truth. And it was the newspaper, the magazine. Exactly. Yeah. Why would you not like, trust the source of news and you trust it? And then you realize that, wait a minute, there's people, there's powerful people in the world who want to manipulate public opinion. Yeah. And they use every method at their disposal to do that. Ah. It, it's, for instance, like dieting culture. Now you're, oh, I shouldn't eat, I don't know, a kilo of ice cream every day. That wouldn't be good for me. A hundred years ago, you didn't have that. You didn't, that wasn't a question that you needed to ask yourself. So you might not even know, oh, a kilo of ice cream make me fat or not. It was just and a, we are We are the same critter. We've always been. Yeah. And now we have all of these new things and we don't really have the training to deal with so much stuff, information, ice cream. Back, I don't know, 500 years ago, you couldn't really get that much fruit in your diet all year long in Europe. No, you would have to, uh, you would have to uh, dry it or can it or exactly. so something. So the amount of sugar you consumed in a year was dependent on the seasons and where you live and that kind of thing. And now is, I can have sugar every single day as long as I want until I die. And I'll die yes. really quickly if I do. Yeah, earlier. Yeah. But so, so yes. how, do, how do we deal with that when we are this critter that is like foraging for fruits in the summer and now we have access to Dunkin' Donuts every single Oh, by the way, Tom, let's go back to Mexico. I am so happy about that. 
Were they gone? Yeah, they left. They're coming back and they're like opening. Oh, oh I didn't realize that. So we, we have access to that and information and, and all the things you put on, on your skin and in your brain and in your mouth. This is how do I deal with all of this when you have all of this, these forces bearing on yeah. the tools? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. So I guess you're, the, the community seems to, I don't know if it's dealing just with that, but it's specifically, but it's the, those kinds of themes that are modern themes that no one really is teaching you that you might have questions about, but it is true. You don't really want to display your ignorance by asking quote unquote, dumb questions. And, uh, and digital life offers amazing opportunities in every facet of life. Yeah. But there are also risks everywhere. Still the, yeah, 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 still the yeah, wild yeah. west out there. Yeah. And, and it irks me that people are being left behind and are not taking part of these amazing opportunities. And it, those could be like medical, like CRISPR, or 3D printed titanium bones made from your own scan of your own femur, yeah, but yeah. also scams, crypto scans on the internet. And there's so much amazing stuff and so much risk that there's no school to teach you these things. So this community is a great place to gradually build up your understanding of all of these things. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Cool. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your time. This was super My cool. Pleasure. And yeah, where can people check you out? Twitter? Is that the best? Twitter, Twitter at, at E Perea. Okay. Usually, if you Google my name, Eugenio Perea, you'll find I, I've opened up threads as well. I, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere. Okay. But... Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And please stay tuned for many more episodes of Shore Stories. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on social media and like and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. And most importantly, keep on listening. Have a good one.